Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host today, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. Our guest today, Megan Duggan, Olympian for the U.S. women's hockey team in 2010, 2014, 2018. She was the captain in 2014 and 2018, leading off her Olympic journey with two silvers to finally win gold in Pyeongchang in 2018. This is a wide-ranging conversation on both the development as an athlete, how to develop as an athlete, how to develop as a hockey player, but what I really want to focus in with Megan today, because she is such an expert on the topic, is how to develop as a leader, how to cultivate leadership. What does it look like in, in terms of detail, in terms of daily habit? And she does an outstanding job, uh, you know, really couldn't ask any more of her today. And she has repackaged all of her, her wisdom, all of her experience for us, both as a player and as a leader uh, for Team USA. Uh, thank you for joining us today from wherever you are in the world. Let's do this. Hey, guys, it's producer Colin here. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us, we've created a membership program that brings access to more exclusive content and AMAs to help you become a more curious competitor. At the end of the episode, I will explain more about what those benefits are. Or if you want to find out more information about it now, please visit patreon.com forward slash the curious competitor. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. Megan Duggan, how are you? Welcome I'm to good. the Curious Competitor podcast. I am thrilled to have you. Um, I think uh, as I try and consider our story arc, it's not hard to come up with something strong with your experience as a three-time Olympian, captain in two of those Olympics, correct? Correct, yep. Uh, so I want to I discuss a little bit about your path with, with leadership, and then I promise I do want to also cover... October 13th, 2020, you announced retirement from the sport of hockey. And I don't want to pronounce you dead. I, I want you, <laughs> I want to hear what you're dreaming up next and how you want to help the next generation. And, and I'm sure we'll cover, you know, uh, where the men's game is at, how we can, you know, help the women's game. And, and I know you've been active uh, in, in trying to grow that as well. So let's start with, I guess, your origin story as, as, a, as a young girl starting to play hockey. How do you eventually go on to become, you know, the three-time Olympian, uh, two-time Olympic captain that you, that you were and are? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Course, really glad uh, we could make this work and, and have, a, have a wonderful chat. So been looking forward to it. Um, so Thank thanks for having me on. It's, it's an honor to be a guest. Um, for me, I mean, my journey, similar to a lot of the, the women on my team, Started playing boys hockey at a young age. Um, I grew up in a town north of Boston, Danvers, Massachusetts, that really just had a great youth hockey organization. A um, lot of support, a lot of families, um, you know, just rallied around it and, um, you know, were involved in hockey. So my family was no different. I had an older brother that played and I think our, my parents kind of signed us up initially when we were young kids. I was three. My brother was five as a so cool. two for one deal kind of thing. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Jumped on the ice and, um, you know, started off pushing milk crates across the ice and, and just fell in love with it quickly. Um, you know, graduated to that stick and puck and in light instructional hockey and, um, went up kind of through there in my youth program, um, played on a, a couple of different, uh, boys club teams along the way, but 
hadn't really been introduced to women's hockey or girls hockey at all. It, it didn't exist. I was, I was always the only girl that I saw playing and, um, you know, I never knew of elite women. I, you know, I grew up wanting to be Ray Bork and thought I would go on and play in the NHL and as we all did. Right. And, and kudos yeah. to my parents and my family and friends for just supporting that, um, that dream and, and that vision that I had. And it wasn't until I saw, um, the 1998 team in women's ice hockey it was the first time that women's ice hockey was included in the Olympic games. Um, and they went over to Nagano, Japan and, and won a gold medal, um, had the opportunity to meet one of those women shortly after. And that was just like such a transformative experience for me. Um, you know, I put her medal on, I put her team USA Jersey on. It was the first time, like I said, I had seen an elite female hockey player, um, or that I knew it existed. So, kind of built my life around that goal shortly after that. I was, you know, 10, 11 years old and um, kind of just every decision I made uh, pretty much for the next 20 years until our team in 2018 won the gold medal was, was for that goal. I love that. And I, I relate to that because when I think back to my childhood, I was so role model driven. Every thought was, how can I get outside of, you know, shake this shell of who I am today to become uh, Joe Sackick or Nicholas Lidstrom, or I used to pretend I was, you know, Pavel Bure buzzing up and down the street and in roller hockey. And I, I think similarly where hopefully we can get to a place with women's pro sport where role models, and we just saw it uh, particularly in baseball with Kim Ang. I, I, I do want to touch on that at some point, because how incredible uh, the first female GM in, you know, a male dominated pro sport environment, uh, I would, gosh, to be a fly on the wall of one of her meetings and, and just to, to learn from her would be spectacular. But when you say, what does that look like? Cause I did similar, you use the phrase, built your life around the, your dream and, and the sport of hockey. What does that look like from age? Let, let's say what age did you really start to take it seriously shortly after the, when you put the Jersey on? Um, yeah, shortly after that, I would say, you know, my decision for, for high school, um, and where, where I was going to go. Um, I ended up going to a prep school in Cushing Academy and the, that new England prep school grouping. And, um, you know, when I, when I say build my life around it, it you know, exactly what I mean. I mean, it's, it's that singular focus. I, I, I made that goal and I had that dream. I want to captain team USA to a gold medal when I was 11 years old. So what does that look like? Um, you know, went to Cushing Academy to, um, to play elite girls hockey, uh, to hopefully be recruited to then go on, uh, which I, I had the opportunity to do and play for Mark Johnson out at the university of Wisconsin and, um, you know, win three national championships alongside some of the best teammates, um, and coaching staff and support staff and, and university in the world. Um, and then, you know, obviously through that got my foot in the door with the national team, but I think through all of that, um, just kept my head down, worked hard, made the sacrifices, um, committed, you know, both on the ice and off the ice, uh, from a mental standpoint, from a physical standpoint, um, you know, transformed my nutrition and the way I thought about food and, and all of that. So as you know, it's, it's a, it's a huge package, um, that, that leads you in, in that direction. And so learning about, um, all the different aspects of my life that I can improve on, um, that could help lead me closer to that goal is pretty much what I did and, and how I transformed. Yeah. I always love on the show to try and show exactly the detail of what commitment looks like either, you know, on behalf of the guests or sometimes myself. And 
you know, and I think back, like I remember all the way up until I have an example. So I was in, I was in eighth grade and I was in this, this math class where we were asked to do introductions and I stood up and I was this cocky eighth grader. I thought I was a pretty good player at the time. And, and at least I showed it hourly it, it, inside. I was, you know, dying to get better and, and knew I wasn't good enough, but on the outside anyway. And I was like, yeah, I stood up. I'm Connor Carrick. Hi, everyone. I have two younger brothers, and uh, I'm going to play for the U.S. National Team Development Program, and I'm going to go to Michigan someday. And I sat down, and that, <laughs> that was like my introduction. <laughs> Do you have any stories, either notes you made at home, um, promises or commitments that you've made to yourself that would, if you dug up now, would make you really proud of yourself through, through those developmental years? Were there any particular stories that you have? Um, I mean, yeah, similar to that, I guess, I guess one shortly after I met the woman Gretchen that played on the 98 team, again, I was, you know, 10, 11 years old. And I think verbally I became that kid that was running around this small town telling every single person, this was my goal. I'm Megan Duggan. I'm going to go to the Olympics. I'm going to captain team USA to a gold medal. Right. And, um, you know, everyone, whether it was teachers, whether it was, um, you know, the, the postal worker or coaches and this and that. And I joke now with my parents, they were probably, they would, everyone probably thought, Oh my gosh, Bob and Mary Duggan's daughter is, is nuts. This little kid, you know, she's <laughs> she yeah, got these yeah, big yeah. goals and dreams and she'll never do it. But, um, so, so definitely, I mean, I started to do that. I do remember, um, and I've, I have since dug these up, but in, you know, in elementary school or grade school, you, um, you write these stories, right? I can't remember what grade it is, but it, when you're practicing your writing and you're learning about being creative and this and that, and you have to come up with these stories. Um, and I have multiple stories. Why my teacher let me never change theme, I don't know, but multiple stories of just, you know, this is Megan, captain of Team USA, or this is Megan, you know, playing in the gold medal game. And each story was the exact same story. It was me making Team USA, going on to play in the Olympics, uh, but it all fell under, you know, I guess a different writing assignment for the, for the teacher. So I have these little colorful booklets with my, you know, 10, 11 year old handwriting, um, all stored at my parents' house somewhere, which was pretty cool, um, to find once I, um, I did become an Olympian and then did go on to win a gold medal. Uh, it's pretty special to look back on that. I want to touch on further about how, as an athlete, you played other sports at Cushing. And what role that played in your hockey development. And then after that, we can bookmark. I want to get to eventually why it was so important for you to be, and I'm just giving you this now so you can start to chew on it. Why captain of Team USA? Like it wasn't enough just to make it. But let's start first with the concept of playing other sports and maybe how that helped you as a well-rounded athlete. Because nowadays, you and I would say we dedicated our life to hockey and we, we were committed to hockey uh, similarly, I played baseball. I played a hundred games a year for this Illinois Sparks team. We had multiple, you know, division one players and things like that uh, go on to, you know, real careers. Uh, but for some reason, I believe that baseball was going to help me in, in comparison, like the 24 seven athlete we see now in the sport yeah. of hockey, uh, which, you know, I, I'm assuming we'll, we'll touch on, but it was just never this, it was never the same intensity for some reason. Hockey I knew was, wow. was where I was going to end up. Um, so how did playing other sports in your youth help you as a player? Yeah. Um, I, I'm definitely a huge proponent of multi-sport athletes. Um, obviously that's because it was the experience that I had, but, um, but yeah, I mean, all growing up, I played at, 
everything I could, anything that my parents signed me up for. I mean, soccer, baseball, um, lacrosse, basketball. I was terrible at basketball, still am, um, but still, you know, love to play and, and <laughs> yeah, cross country track, everything. Um, and then when I got into high school, obviously I was going to this school to specialize in, in hockey, but still played, you know, four years of varsity soccer, four years of, um, you know, varsity softball and lacrosse and, um, wouldn't have had it any other way. I actually remember after I committed to the university, of Wisconsin my junior or senior year and people questioning if I was going to continue to play on the soccer team because of knee injuries and the risk of that and um and it, there was no doubt in my mind one I think being um as competitive as I am and was um you know there was no there was there was work still to be done with the you know the soccer team or the lacrosse team that I wanted to be a part of um, and I think, you know, just, just committed to those teams and the girls and the, you know, the, the program and the staff and where, it, where it goes, those were two major components for me. But I think in addition to that, um, you need a break from hockey every once in a while yeah. too. And I think, um, whether I knew that back then, I definitely know it now, but, um, that's what you know, soccer and lacrosse and different teammates and using different muscles and, um, you know, mentally, uh, using different parts of your brain. Those were what the other sports provided me as well. Um, and I would go back and do it exactly like that all over again. I think, you know, if you were to look at, uh, the demographic of our women's national team or the Olympic team over the last couple of years, all of those women are multi-sport athletes. We're all multi-sport athletes growing up. So, um, I don't think that that's a coincidence. Um, I yeah. think it plays a, a major factor into it. Yeah. Very, I, I feel we share that regard as in terms of our development as athletes is, is we try to play other sports very similar where we, you know, from age, let's call it nine to 11, all the way to 18 and on, you know, really try to dedicate, okay. Our entire world view of how can we maximize our ability to train and get better in our sport. I remember uh, when I was in high school, I would carry this like stress ball around and I would squeeze it because I had read about how it would like improve your grip strength and I wanted to shoot <laughs> like Alex Ovechkin. So I would just be sitting there in class. Yeah, whatever teacher, you know, doing 50 sets of 50 with the, you know, the stress ball. I would go up the stairs pretending like I would do a hockey stride. I would skip like every other <laughs> step. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a great resource for our audience listening in terms of what exactly does that mean? What exactly does that look like? Cause a lot of people can use the words I'm dedicated. I'm committed to my craft and my sport. All right. To what extent? Mm -hmm. But what I'm really interested in our conversation is you made mention earlier about your dream of becoming captain for team USA. And I'm very interested in your leadership journey. Why were you so drawn to lead at such a young age and how you, you have some natural leadership qualities just in the way you talk and, and present yourself and, you know, such a strong, bright energy, even as we're cross country. Well, I guess we're not cross country here in Connecticut. I'm in Jersey, but uh, <laughs> as we're, you know, through the, through the screen, but how did you know that you were frankly fit for service and how did you go about handling that responsibility from a young age? Um, I, I love the phrase that you, or what you just said in leadership journey, because I think, um, in reflecting upon my playing career, that's exactly what, what mine has been a leadership journey. And I've been doing a lot of reflecting as of lately, obviously looking back on, um, a lot of different experiences I've had, but 
uh, my leadership journey is one that I hold, um, you know, nearest and dearest to my heart. And that is, that is very important to me. And I think from a young age, um, I was kind of thrusted into leadership roles on youth sports teams or, you know, high school teams, probably initially because of, um, you know, my personality. Um, I've always been outgoing, you know, come from um, a big extended family. So you got to learn to speak up and, um, and things like that. And then being put into those positions, I obviously wanted to excel. I wanted to educate myself on how to be, um, the best that I could be for my team. Um, so I've had a lot of ups and downs, um, in that journey. I think I have learned from a lot of great mentors. I've learned from, um, you know, mentors that, uh, are not mentors, but are leaders that I've had that, um, I, I thought didn't do as great of a job, um, or do, you know, what our team needed at the time. And, um, so I've kind of just compiled all of that, I guess, and tried to mold it into, um, who I want to be and, and how I want to lead a team. Um, but I've had challenges along the way. My leadership's been tested a million times as all leaders do. Um, I've found that, um, you know, being honest, being open, creating a culture where people can share and talk and try to understand each other, um, is probably best practices. Um, and, uh, something that I've, I've tried to use and, and do, um, on every team that I've been a part of. Um, but I think, why I was attracted to such, um, you know, leadership positions, I think is, is just the, the, the passion that's inside me to, um, to win and to be, and to grow and to move. Um, I've never been that type of player or person that can just kind of like sit on the back, sit in the back and, um, you know, do my personal training or my, my, you know, personal agenda and just kind of hang on to the back of the train. Um, I always want to be a part in the group that's leading it. Um, and never, you know, by myself or never, um, you know, in a way looking for, for glory or anything like that, but just, I have passion that just like bubbles out of me. Um, and I want to put that to good use and I want to teach my teammates, learn from my teammates, um, and move us in a positive direction whenever I can. I love that. I love that. So I don't know if I want to go with mentors first or if we want to cover leadership failures, because when you say mm -hmm. reflect and you say that there were things you might have done differently or that you did differently the second time you had a kick at the can, whatever leadership form or circumstances that you're referring to, when you look back over the course of your career, what was different from your leadership style from 2010, assuming you're a leader in the room, even as a younger player on the group, mm -hmm. in the group? Uh, but particularly from 2014, when you win silver, I, we'll, we'll call it win silver. I know how hard that must have been in Sochi. Yeah. But what were some of the key failures? We can start from 2010 to 2014, but particularly from 2014 to 2018, because how did you get over that hump when you went home with a silver medal? I've played in, in international tournaments. I've played in, in playoff series. I've never played in an Olympic uh, gold medal game, but I know after any game as a pro that you lose, you go home and you get to think, what would I have done differently? Period. Mm -hmm. The grace about the NHL is there's 82 games a year and, and you're swimming <laughs> in hockey and you got another chance in like 12 hours 
Uh, so you've only got so much time to sulk. But when, you know, the cream of your craft is the Olympics, you got to wait quite a bit of time. You got to sit with that loss. Um, so what were some of your lessons in leadership? What were some of your, if you could do it over again, you know, maybe we'll call them failures or maybe we'll call them training moments for eventual success. I'm not sure what etymology we want to use, but. Yeah. Yeah. Love that question. And and I'll pick it up, um, kind of right in that 2014 timeframe, because I think there's a lot of defining moments of, you know, myself as a leader and our team, um, moving forward from that loss in Sochi that you mentioned, um, to obviously winning gold in 2018. And I think, um, I was captain of that team in 2014 and I took the loss incredibly hard and incredibly personal. Um, I think I struggled big time after, and I've said this before, I was very, I am very thankful that prior to that loss in my life, I'd had a pretty good, great life. I mean, I hadn't felt a lot of heartbreak or disappointment or tragedy, um, prior to that. And so to say that a sporting event is one of the most tragic things that has happened to you, you know, you're pretty, you're pretty lucky, but, um, but I I was, my heart was broken. Um, and it was, it was devastating. So I took it very personally. Um, I disappeared for a little bit. I had to kind of rediscover myself in a way that, you know, am I going to do this again? I've had my heart broken twice. Um, and kind of, as you alluded to for us on the women's side, that that's it, that's our Stanley cup. And it only comes every four years and it's only one game. And it's, <laughs> the, the pressure is brutal. Yeah, the pressure it's not, is, is not friendly immense. to you. Um, and so it, it was difficult. Um, I felt my, you know, my whole world was flipped upside down and I was truly heartbroken. So I had to pick myself up a little bit, um, you know, obviously with the team and, and the end goal in, in mind and thinking about, you know, literally looking myself in the mirror at times, like, who are you? What are you made of? Um, what do you want? You know, how are you going to do this? Are you going to do this again? Um, and I think the big question that I asked myself as a leader and that our, our program really asked ourselves is if you're going to do this again, how are you going to do it differently? Because you cannot stay the same and expect a different result, right? I had been a part of, of two Olympic teams come up, come up short of our ultimate goal in 2010, come up short of our ultimate goal in 2014. So something needs to change. You know, our team needs to transform, our program needs to, to change, um, and we have to figure that out together. So that was, that was the biggest question I asked myself as a leader after that. Um, you know, how are you going to change, and then how are you going to lead the change in the locker room? I think when I, when I look back on that 2014 Olympics, um, probably one of my biggest, say, regrets or failures, however you want to label it, um, was just gripping it too tight. So, you know, so focused on um, Canada in that that one game and that moment and just just squeezing it so tight for four straight years, not wanting to have the same result that we had in Vancouver um, that, you know, missed things along the way or different, you know, didn't love the process, didn't, um, didn't respect the process. Right. And we know as elite athletes, that there's a lot of components that goes into, go into every day and to winning a Stanley cup or winning an Olympic gold medal. And I was gripping everything too tight and I was too laser focused that I let some of that slip by, I think. Um, and then, um, yeah, so then we, you know, I was part of a, obviously a, a really powerful team that, uh, transformed in an incredible way in between the 2014 and the 2018, um, Olympics. And, um, that was just, a that was an all hands on deck team 
effort. We had a great core group of leaders um, and we just transformed in, in every aspect um, together and everyone just kind of bought in and, and we, we moved through those four years, difficult four years, wasn't always easy. Um, it's a lot of personalities for sure, but um, we transformed in a great way and it, it led us to the, the goal that we wanted to achieve. What tangibly changed? What did you transform both on a team level and in your personal game? What did you um, actually do differently? I mean, oh, so many things, right? When I, when I think about the game, I think about it in, um, or being an athlete in general, I think about it in a bunch of different areas. You have your, obviously your, you know, your physical, your mental, your technical, your tactical on the ice. Um, and we completely flipped all that upside down. Um, our coaches transformed the way that we played the game, saw the game, um, how we skated, how we moved around each other, where we moved the puck, um, transformed our style of play and all of our systems. Um, we dove deep into the mental aspect of the game, really utilizing, um, you know, imagery and visualization and, and putting ourselves in situations, um, you know, that we might find ourselves in, in the games and calming our breathing and thinking about how we would respond so that when you get to the Olympics and you're in the gold medal game and, you know, it's the third period and you're losing to Canada two to one because Marie-Philippe Poulin just scored and you're thinking, oh my gosh, we'd been there before in our minds. You know, we yeah. trained for every aspect of that. We trained for every scenario so that you're able to just be on the bench and take deep breaths. And, you know, I've been here before. Um, I know what to do. I know how to respond. I'm not fight or flight right now. Um, so we trained, you know, the, the mental component big time. And then obviously uh, physically, you know, our, our team and our staff put a big emphasis on speed. So we transformed a lot of what we did off the ice. Um, you know, and there was a significant focus on sprinting and speed. And, um, I think it showed in, in our team's, uh, performance and kind of gradual increase in speed over those four years, um, leading into 2018. So those are, are a handful of examples. I love that. Cause it really, when I think back about on my career, those are the two things I'm trying to do legitimately is, is try not to press so damn hard. It's I've done mm -hmm. it in my career. It's not fun. The ice seems smaller. Guys are on you quicker. Uh, that puck, for whatever reason, uh, just doesn't seem to sit as nicely. The ice feels soft. There's all these internal things that are really just BS. It's my relation to what's going on. It's a, it's a stress response. And learning to not take yourself so seriously in a mm -hmm. sport that we take so seriously yeah. <laughs> is such a fine line. So when you say you were able to train yourself mentally to not press as hard. What did that feel like? Like, what did it feel like in 2014 when a puck was on your stick or you found yourself going, uh, you know, down in the game versus 2018? What did loose feel like? And, and more importantly, because this was your role as captain, it was not good enough just for you to experience this looseness that you were, you'd sought after and trained for. Mm -hmm. It was also your job to foster this in younger players who hadn't been there in 2014 right. and definitely not there in 2010. Yep. Yeah. 
I mean, you bring up so many good points. I would say, one, to answer your first question, what that what it felt like was um, just relief and smooth and, um, you know, brought me back to my youth and why you play the game. And that, that was a lot of what I had to work on mentally, why I was doing this and kind of go back to, um, you know, loving it and, and yeah. not being scared to make a mistake. And again, not, not gripping everything so tight. And, you know, we use the metaphor in hockey, gripping your stick too tight, but it's such a great metaphor, but it was, it was, I was gripping everything too tight. I was just wanting it, wanting it too much. Um, as you said, and then I think, um, I alluded to this earlier, right? Transforming, um, the way that we saw the game trained, prepared mentally, physically, we worked on that for four years and we had a slew of ages and personalities and experience on our team. And, and it was difficult. Um, I think we worked on it up until the, the moment we won the gold medal game, we were working on it in the game, getting everyone to buy in and, um, you know, to, to make those changes in order to kind of be moving the team in the direction, um, that we wanted and that we, we saw or thought would help us achieve our goal. So, um, it was difficult. It required, um, you know, constant self-evaluation, constant team evaluation, constant check-in and reminders and accountability, uh, by all of us. And, you know, a lot of cat fights along the way, um, a lot of, um, you know, difficult roadblocks and figuring things out and communication. But, um, I think we were all happy with the end result, obviously. And, um, one thing I remember in, kind of alluding to, you know, that, that looseness and what that felt like is as, as a captain shortly after the games. And even now I get asked all the time, you know, uh, the, the overtime ends, um, or sorry, regular, um, regulation ends. You guys go in the locker room, you're going to come out for overtime. You're in the gold medal game, this and that. What was the locker room like? What was that final speech? Like, you know, any given Sunday style and, um, my best answer was the, the most wonderful thing about that moment was the locker room was just business as usual. No one another was, game. yeah, another game. We were, we were confident in our preparation. We had mentally put ourselves in any situation imaginable. And I remember sitting in the locker room, I have chills right now thinking about it, but I remember sitting in the locker room, looking around at all the women and it was just, you know, the women that, that get get treatment. They were getting treatment. Those that are eating a banana or, you know, drinking some water, that's what they were doing. Some listening to music, some were, were, were talking and laughing and, and goofing around because that's, that's what they needed to do. Um, and it was just, I remember looking around thinking we're going to win. This group is so calm and confident. We don't need any, any given Sunday, you know, big rah, rah speech. Like we got this. Um, and that to me was kind of the culmination of, we weren't gripping it too tight. We were just, we trusted in our preparation um, and just, you know, had this light, uh, comfortable feeling about our, our, ourselves. So Megan, when it comes to the mental side, like I can picture in my head what physical adjustments to training might look like. So for example, after 2014, uh, you know, maybe the team discussion is around skating speed and we're going to sprint more off the ice. Everyone, can we consult with, you know, different top tier uh, skating consultants in your area, but on the like mental side, and you talked about how important it was to readjust your identity. What techniques particularly were you able to use on the mental side come 2018 to remove? Cause what I'm getting at is you can do all the physical prep in the world. This sensation of gripping too tight, mm -hmm. all the reps are gone. Yep. 
they're, they're erased or as if they never happened. So how were you able to get to a place for 2018 mentally for all this physical expression to shine through? Um, yeah. So, so what I would say is that our, um, our staff, our, you know, our mental skills coach, our sports psychologist, all of our, um, you know, our on ice, off ice coaches gave us as players a variety of tools in this area to, to pull from. Um, you know, they ran us through these education seminars. They, they had to really get us to buy in and, and convince us, um, you know, as to how this would improve of our game. And so they gave us all the tools and then it was up to each individual to kind of pull from, from that toolbox, what would be best for them or where their level of comfort was in their mental training. And, um, one of the, at one of the team training camps that we had early on, and they were really trying to get us to, to understand these concepts of, you know, when you're, when you're visualizing or when you're creating these images, um, and, and training your body in these ways, you have to activate all your senses. You have to activate, um, you know, your taste, your touch, your smell, what you're hearing, um, in addition to what you're seeing, right? You hear imagery and you think, um, I'm just going to create these pictures in my brain. But really what they wanted us to do was put ourselves in a difficult situation, put ourselves in a high stakes, high pressure, pressure situation and visualize and imagine how our whole body would feel all of our senses. So we did this one activity, um, where we all sat in a room blindfolded and one of our coaches came in and he popped popcorn in the room and he was talking, talking to us as it was popping. And, you know, he put some in our hands and we were able to feel it and taste it. And so he said, all right, take your blindfolds off. And we talked through the exercise. He said, so how did you all know it was popcorn? pretty easy. Obviously we could hear it popping, right? We could smell it. Um, we tasted it. We felt it in our hands and he proved to us the importance of activating all your senses to, you know, make decisions or to, um, you know, to act on something. And so obviously, a, a, you know, a unique example, popcorn's different than imagining yourself in a shootout of a gold medal game and what that feels like or smells like or whatever. But, um, but it was, it was a really important exercise, uh, for our team to go through and something I'll never forget. And for me, um, just got me to dive in full force and to continue to encourage my teammates to dive in full force. You know, we talked a lot about, um, if this, if, you know, if putting ourselves in the, in the position of, being in overtime in the gold medal game in Pyeongchang, what does it feel like in there? What does it sound like? You know, what are the smells? Um, how does my stick feel in my hands? You know, can I see the goaltender? Where are the holes? So envisioning those types of things. Um, and if, if that was going to improve our team, you know, individually or collectively by 1%, uh, then I was all in. And that's kind of how we um, continued to see it and continue to work at it. Um, anything we could do, like I said, to make those changes, to not be the same as we were in 2014, uh, we were going to do. Is it something that you would schedule? Yes. Like on your training? Yeah. So early on, I um, like I said, everyone kind of had to, um, you know, you, you have to be professionals, right? Like you guys in the NHL, you're given these tools, you're told, you know, you have all these meetings and you have all these support staffs, but you need to be the one to act. Right. And so in the beginning we had to be you know, taught and we had to be educated and introduced to all these new concepts, whether it was on the ice or off the ice or mentally or physically. Um, and then it's on each individual to, you know, be accountable and, um, 
and make sure that you're continually working on these things. So I would schedule it in my day personally, because I'm very like, I'm just like that type eight personality. Yeah. You don't yeah. say <laughs> I'm shocked. Um, you know, we, did, we did team <laughs> sessions and, and things like that as well. Um, but yeah. we, uh, you know, I would, I would definitely schedule it like, Hey, I want to sit down and, and think about, you know, these different scenarios and go through them, you know, sitting in my living room for an hour. Yeah. That's something I've been trying to do because I, like, I know tomorrow at 8 30 AM I'm training, uh, we're on the ice at 10 30 and I'm host of the curious competitor podcast. I'm out here championing, you know, mental health and visualization. And it's a point of, you know, what we care about, I feel as athletes is scheduled and, and it's done on purpose. You can't leave your mental resiliency, strength, visualization to chance. Mm -hmm. And where I started to first, I guess, realize how important and how vivid, like there was a period, I did it intensely as a kid, all the time as a kid, I'd, I'd be in line and I'd pretend like, you know, even, even as I was driving a mom's car, like light poles would be players off, boom, outlet pass, boom, <laughs> kick out at the blue line. I'd be like timing these things. Uh, also couldn't figure out why mom wasn't just cutting everybody off. And now as I get older and drive, I, I recognize why. But I remember I was on a, I was on a flight going to, I think it was Lake Placid for a world junior evaluation camp. And for whatever reason, obviously hockey was on my mind. I was kind of dozing off during the flight and I was thinking about hockey. And as I was in that twilight zone, I like took a shot and I punt, I like smacked the guy next to me in the chair. I was like this full body, like shot. It, it really happened. And that's where, you know, I started to really consider like, wow, the physical stimulation that, that, that proprioception I can experience in my hands and feet and, and actually seeing through my eyes, it really can be game-like without the risk of, of injury. Yeah. Everything has a risk of injury except for yeah. this. Um, so I really encourage any youth athletes listening uh, or even, you know, junior and, and young pros, if your mental practice is not scheduled, I question if we're doing mm -hmm. it. And I'm, 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 Thank you for bringing that up because I, I really thought that that was something that for sure you would have, uh, dial in. How far would you go? Would you like wear your gloves and stuff in the, in the living room um, just to get the smell going? I, yeah. Like I, I crazy things. Yeah. Things like that. Definitely, you know, doing it in different spaces in the locker room, you know, while you have your skates on your feet, maybe when you finish a training session, um, but, you know, to your point, if it's not scheduled, maybe you wouldn't do it. Something that I always said to myself was in that in that sense with the the mental training um, in terms of, you know, accountability or, or things like that, you know, who, who can really see and check in on on if you were doing it or not easy to do, but easy not to do. Um, and it was one of those yeah. things that I always told said to myself, you know, if I was tired after training, I didn't feel like doing it. It's like, yeah, it's it's easy not to do right now, but it's also easy to do. You know, I'm just sitting on my couch. I'm rather than flipping on Netflix and watching a 30 minute episode. Why don't I just like, you know, flip on the thing in my life I'm most passionate about in my brain and go through it a little bit. So, um, so it was always kind of one of those things. And, and again, like you said, to the young listeners out there, it's, I think it's easy not to do. It's easy to just write it off, um, or not buy in, but I think it's going to improve your game big time. When it comes down to that alignment too, right? Like I, I really appreciate you sharing all these moments in your career where you sought and created alignment for, okay, well, what is my highest goal? What would I actually need to do to evolve as a leader? What would I need to do to tactically improve my skating? How, what is my relationship with training? How dogmatic am I? Am I willing to train differently 
for a different result. Or I'm going to sit here on my laurels of success and just say, you know what? I'm just going to do the same thing again. I'm just going to keep trying. You know, it's one game. Maybe it was luck. Right. And I, I love that innovation, that ingenuity, and that, that concept of planning your career, planning the result ahead of time. Sometimes, you know, in the NHL, just because we're playing so much, there's a little bit less of that. There's a little bit less of this ability to make yourself a project. It's a little bit more of like, you know, particularly in the summers, get home, uh, get healthy. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you're healthy again, you're off to training <laughs> camp. But I, I, I really do enjoy the nature of this, this long format of okay, I'm going to build this whole process. I'm going to build these habits and then these habits will eventually build me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it's, it's the people in my life that I respect and look up to the most or idolize or want to be, or feel I can learn from are the people that are constantly working on themselves constantly trying to grow and evolve, never, never satisfied and not in a way, you know, I say that and and I I know you understand me and not in a way that's like, you know, they're trying to claw on top of people to keep climbing to the top, but in a way that it's more internal, you know, that they always want to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, better themselves and grow and, and question themselves and challenge themselves. Um, and, you know, try to become better for, you know, their team or their family or, um, you know, I, I said this, I always come back to this cause I actually said it in my vows to my wife. Um, I love, one of the things I love about her is her, how she, she's so passionate about like constantly expanding her own intelligence. And, you know, she's a pretty smart woman, you know, she was Ivy league undergrad and Ivy league MBA. And, uh, but she always wants to learn something, whether it's about like, you know, God knows what, something that's going on, like in the community or in the world or in nutrition, she's just like always reading articles and learning things. And I, I love surrounding myself with people like that, whether it's in sport or, you know, in my personal professional life or whatever, I think people that aren't afraid to challenge themselves and where they're at, um, and say like, I need to get better here. Um, those are the people I want to be around. I love that. And I, I think that I want to come back to 2014, some of the mirror looking exercises, <laughs> because you asked yourself the question. It's a big question. It's, it's easy to answer and it's, it's easy to avoid entirely is who are you? Like, what are you made of? What words came up at that time? Like what about your identity allowed you to shift towards 2018? What about you? I'll leave it there. What, 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 what came up when you said, who are you? I think, um, the biggest thing that I, the biggest thing that I took away from, and I I physically like stood in front of the mirror many times, like whether I was like crying or angry. Um, it was a, it was a very, you don't have to smile. I've done it too. It was a very Uh, helpful um, exercise uh, for me. I'll tip my hand too. Um, yeah. But I think the biggest thing was like, for me, it was you're stronger than this. And I go back to, you know, the heartbreak that I felt like it was, I was definitely heartbroken. Um, but I was strong enough and I was stronger than how I was acting. Um, I needed to just like scoop myself up, put myself back together and 
come up with a game plan, right? Come up with a way that I was going to, as I just talked about, right? Grow, challenge myself, um, you know, be better because of what I had experienced and what, what all of us had experienced our team, you know, losing in heartbreaking fashion in that game. It was brutal. Um, but you know, oftentimes when I'm asked like, Hey, can you give advice to young athletes or this and that? Um, I always say like, you can't be perfect, right? You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. Um, things are going to be hard. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm a classic perfectionist, super type a, um, I've been like that since I was a kid, but what I've learned probably in the last five years of my life, as we went through this transformation as a team is you really can't be too, you can't be perfect. Um, and you know, we're all going to face challenges any given day, any, any practice, any game, um, you know, anything in our, our personal life or our professional life, we're going to fail. We're going to flop on our face. And I tell kids, you're going to make a hundred mistakes a game. I make them all the time. Our whole team does. Uh, but how do you grow? How do you learn from that? Um, you know, and who are any of us, um, if we don't face challenges, right. And we don't kind of grow through them, um, and educate ourselves on how to be better. So I think that was the biggest thing that I took away from that. Um, I looked at myself and I was like, you know what, you're so much stronger than this. Um, you're better than this, you know, pick it up, learn and, and let's, let's move forward. Um, and that was kind of where the transformation for me began in what I said earlier and just like, you know, you can't stay this way now and expect to have a different result in four years. You have to make those changes. You have to evolve. Um, you have to figure out what are all those areas, um, and, and be better in all of them. Yeah. That's something my relationship with failure has improved tremendously since my time as a young pro. Cause when I look back, it just wasn't something I accounted for. It wasn't something I genuinely prepared for. So even in my own visualization now, something I'll do is I will practice like mentally. I will pass the other team. I will feel what it's like for them to bury it. Back of the net, 20,000 people go, you know, you can feel the head coach's eyes on you for <laughs> the, the whole skate back to the bench, right? Like these yeah. are things you've experienced. And I've practiced. Eh. Are you shocked? <laughs> Like when's the last season you had where you didn't pass to anybody on the other team? When's the last season you had where you didn't get hurt? When's the last, these, these perfect seasons are yet to be had. Uh, I, I at least I have yeah. it. If there's a player out there who's had a perfect year, I'd, I'd love to go over the tape with them and, <laughs> and see how they built it. But, um, it, it's really something I had to start to account for. I knew how to picture what the celebration would look like after the goal. I knew how to picture what the perfect one timer looked like. I didn't know how to, uh, puck was in my feet. I got to go chase the guy down and, and strip him and now make another play and come back. And it really, I didn't practice the resiliency and it led to, it led to my perfectionism, which I think had led to these strong habits of practice really led to fragility was what it was. Absolutely. I was, you know, I would, I would wait, you know, go whichever way the wind blew of the game. And, you know, I emotionally, you cannot be that impressionable in an NHL season. You can't, there's too many games you'll get. It's a roller coaster ride with too many twists and turns and, and there's really no way out of it. And so I love that you, uh, thank you for sharing all of that mental visualization, uh, practice, because I, I really think I'm hoping for the young listeners out there that they can really hear. And I can see it on the screen, just how important it was to mm -hmm. you. I want to 
transition now to accountability as a, as a leader. So when it comes to accountability, what systems in place did you have as a captain or with Team USA to maintain consistent contact? Because over the four years, you know, you've got women all over the country uh, training in different places with different, you know, uh, demands on their schedule elsewhere. How was the accountability process built? That's a, that's such a tough one. And I think something that all teams, no matter what the level can often struggle with. Um, I think for us, you know, that evolved as well. Um, I think my early days, it was like, you know, the fear, right? Like people put fear in you, whether it's a staff or, um, you know, older players, um, and I think, you know, where I've had success um, and where I think teams I've been on have, have had success is, um, you know, one of the best coaches I had in college, Mark Johnson, he said to us, uh, I have one rule on this team and that's make good decisions. And he just applied that to everything, you know, and he kind of, um, he trusted us and we trusted him. And there was this like mutual, um, respect and trust, and we didn't want to disappoint him and vice versa. And, um, so I think, I think there has to be a, um, a trust factor. I think that, yeah, certainly, mm -hmm. you know, you have your fitness testing. We've all been through it where you show up and it's, it's the, you know, the numbers don't lie, right? Who did their training when they were gone in the summer and came back and was either in great shape or not? That type of stuff doesn't lie. Um, but I think with a lot of the other things, um, you know, you rely on on some trust and you instill that in, in your relationships and how you build them. Um, and then you rely on, you know, conversation, communication, touch points, check-ins, you know, how's this going? Um, I think that's, that's a big thing as well, because sometimes people want to be doing the right things, but they don't know what that is, or they're struggling in this other aspect of their life that is completely taking over, um, you know, their ability to focus and perform at the level that they want to. So I think the trust component is huge. I think the constant communication component, um, is equally as important. I love it. And Megan, I just want to be sensitive with the time uh, today because you've been, you know, so generous in joining us. But I do want to ask, and I guess, why not end here? The high of your career, 2018. Wow. Help myself and the listener. What did that feel like? What was the room? What was, what did that feel like? Uh, it's just like euphoric joy. Like I can't, I've never, um, aside from the birth of my son, probably felt like in a single moment so much, just like joy. Um, I think our team being able to celebrate on the ice with each other in that moment of just, you know, it's a culmination of years, um, and hugging each other and having our families on the ice and just laughing and smiling in the moment we'd all envisioned, right. That we'd visualize and yeah. what we wanted it to look like and how we wanted to get there. Um, it was, I wish I could go back and just like bottle up that yeah. feeling cause it was so special and something that obviously all of us will never forget. Um, and the biggest thing was that we did it together and the, the role or piece of the puzzle that every single person, I mean, you know, on your team, everyone's different, right. And everyone plays a different role, but how that all fits in and leads you to the success, um, that you have or want to have is so important. And I think I hugged every single woman on the team, like 15 times on the ice. Like we just kept like going around in the, <laughs> you know, in the packs and you're hugging and you're hugging and celebrating. Yeah. And, but yeah, just, I mean, pure euphoric joy. Um, and, uh, a moment, a moment in my life that I'll never forget. 
I, I hope to experience that someday on the team level. Yeah. I, I've been a part of some big moments, but nothing quite. There's only one ultimate goal. And for you, it's a gold medal for us. It's a Stanley Cup, and there, there's no other way to, to cut it. In terms of October 13th, 2020, and I lied, I, I promised the last question. <laughs> you announced retirement. What is next for Megan Duggan? Because I do want to honor that your life is not over. You're a young mom, <laughs> and, and you've got so much you know, ambition, I'm sure, that hasn't gone anywhere since you left the game. So what are you going to do with yeah, it? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, definitely the hot question in my life right now, um, which is great. And I love... Um, I love thinking about what's next. And I think that's the exciting part. Um, I think first of all, some of the best advice that I got the day I retired from, you know, lifelong role models in Cami Granado and on the U S side and, and Cassie Campbell on the women's side, um, or on the Canadian side, excuse me, um, was, you know, you don't have to jump into anything right away take, take a minute to figure out like what you want to do. And I think that that that's great advice because I have in my heart and in my mind, there's so much I want to give and so much I want to do. Um, and thinking about exactly what that looks like is the exciting part right now. Um, definitely want to continue to have an impact in hockey and whatever, um, that looks like. I think, um, you know, hockey has given me so much and has changed who I am and created who I am really, um, you know, challenged my, my personality and my beliefs and, um, and really I, I've grown up through the sport as so many of us have. So want to continue to have an impact in hockey, uh, whether that's at the youth level, the professional level on the woman's side, on the men's side, definitely going to be exploring, um, those avenues. I think, um, you know, a big part of, of who I am and what I want to do is in kind of the advocacy space, um, and making sure that Mm -hmm. I'm, um, you know, speaking out for and standing up for, um, all marginalized groups, um, and really being a part of things that advance, um, social justice and civil rights, um, you know, in our country, I think that's, that's really important to me and something that I'm definitely going to continue to, um, learn about and speak out about. And then you met, you, you named it like being a mom. I mean, it's, Talk about like one of the most underrated, difficult, emotional, all hands on deck jobs um, I've ever seen or ever been a part of. It's uh, it's the best. And I think learning a little bit about that space as well, um, you know, and finding different ways that our society um, can support working moms more. Um, or all moms, because being a stay-at-home mom is incredibly difficult as well. Um, but uh, yeah, just just loving on my son George and and watching him uh, develop, and um, you know all the excitement and challenges that come with that as well uh, are really important to me. So. Lots of things, um, obviously. Up to yeah, my palms are starting to sweat yeah. now that you, yeah. you start to bring it up because yeah. Lexi and I are going down that road, and I'm thinking the same thing. I'm like, oh, I have no shortage of interests. I'm obsessive about so many things and, and very easily sold and, and excitable. And I'm like, and the number one thing that I'm going to love is probably not even here. Like this baby Crazy. is coming and we're going to make, uh, I'm sure I'll have room, yep. make more it, room uh, in, it in our life, your in life our hearts, in a way that we're, you can't even begin to understand until it happens. So I'm, I'm really happy for you guys. Everyone it's, says it's that. Awesome. And I'm, 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 I'm trying to decode what yeah. that means. <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember what my life was like before, to be honest, or, um, but it's, yeah, it's really special. So all the best to you guys in that, that chapter. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. If we have any questions, I, uh, 
I will consider you a friend and not give you the option and, and feel sure. free to call you. So I'm hoping, hoping you pick <laughs> up. So Megan, thanks. Uh, thanks for everything. This was outstanding. Uh, genuinely, I don't, I'm not sure it came across, but for all the agony from 2010 to 2018, I hope you are extremely proud of yourself, regardless if you had won or not, you had an outstanding career, but to finally exhale and win, I, I hope, uh, I hope this conversation helped revisit that a little bit. And thank you so much for repackaging everything you've been through and, and gifting it really to myself and our audience. It's a lot of yeah, fun. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Where, where r- real quick, before I let you go, where can uh, people find you? If, uh, cause they'll love this podcast yeah. and if they yeah, want to find you find further, me, how um, can they? You can find me at mduggin10 on, uh, Instagram and Twitter. Okay. Awesome. Right. Thank you so much. Perfect. Megan. Thanks. Of course. First off, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners who are still with us. And thank you to, uh, Megan for being so generous with her time and her story. There were three topics I want to carve out and, and really focus on today. Number one, Megan talked about it when discussing the mental element of hockey, the mental uh, element of going to an Olympic games. We schedule what is important to us. If it is not scheduled, chances your only hope that it gets done. So Megan, when I asked her about whether or not she would schedule her mental training the same way she would her physical, the answer, to, I was not surprised, was yes, that it was in her calendar, something that she would purposefully put in there. And I thought it was interesting, the distinction too. Uh, sidebar on how because it was something that was easy to not do it was also easy to do and it was this coming back to alignment how do I want to be as a leader how do I want to be as a player uh, that reconnected with her with the why behind mental performance because it is so easy sometimes to skip the visualization I've done it in my own career and I'm trying to reintegrate the habit I did uh, in ways I did when I was a, when I was a young younger player frankly as a kid growing up in the game A second point I thought was really impressive in listening to Megan today was this question of how willing are you, how willing am I to evolve for my goals? How are you going to be different? How are you going to come into a season or a job interview or really any scenario where you've you've had previous failure and you want to cultivate a different result, a different response? And for Megan, it really was this holistic evaluation of everything she was doing from a, a mental, physical uh, leadership training perspective. And I really appreciate her teasing out some of the details of what exactly that looked like uh, in her training week in, week out, and and how these daily habits cultivated and, and eventually morphed into this four-year plan from 2014 to 2018 to achieve a different result. The final point I want to bring up is this concept that I've, I've been chewing on and, and is how Great leadership requires great self-reflection. And Megan asked this all-powerful question. I urge our listener today to, to chew on this yourself. Who are you? Who are you and who, who do you want to be? And are we acting in our own best interest based on our, our first answer there? It's something that I think will weigh heavy definitely uh, on, on my heart and on my mind the rest of the night, or at least until uh, next week when we're able to release uh, a new podcast, but it's really a question that I think takes great effort and and great time to really chew on. And so I hope that uh, I leave you with that until next week. Thank you for joining me on my journey to become a more curious competitor. Uh, and from wherever you are in the world, again, I do, I do want to finish with, please continue to like, subscribe, share with friends and family. It really helps us grow the reach of this podcast week in, week out. 
I look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you. Hey guys, it's producer Colin. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to let you guys know about a new way you can support the Curious Competitor podcast. We are super proud to have launched a Patreon with access to additional content, exclusive AMAs, and loyalty merchandise. If you could spare the cost of a latte a month, it would go a long way in supporting the expenses involved with the podcast, as well as supporting the people that make it happen. If you do not currently have the means to do so, please don't feel the need to donate. We will be providing this podcast continuously and hope you can find value in these conversations. If you're interested in supporting, visit patreon.com forward slash the curious competitor or check out the link in the show notes. Any support of the podcast is greatly appreciated. And as always, we look forward to seeing you next week.